This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. I'm Mark Packer alone with the dogs in the basement here in Charlotte, down there in beautiful Cartersville, Georgia, Abby West Durham. What's up there, Mr. Durham? You doing all right? Uh, I'm well, and I know you had a good weekend. I did. Excellent. Spectacular. I, I can tell by the shirt. Oh, let's get a shot of that real quick. Hold on. Hold on. Right there. Right there. Beat L.A., baby. That's what we did. Actually, I don't have a T-shirt that says Sweep L.A., because otherwise I'd wear it. <laughs> but Beat L.A. works. First time since 2016 oh, awesome. for anybody keeping score. 2016 yeah. with the brooms out out there in San Francisco. Yeah. But, uh, you know, from a baseball perspective, Wes, uh, I'm excited with my team taking care of business over the weekend. Yeah. But from an ACC perspective, we had either great news Ooh. or bad news. There was nothing in wow. between. It was either awesome or yuck. That's kind of what we had this weekend, yeah. ACC baseball. Well, David did slew Goliath, did he not, in Knoxville? How about that story? Uh, and it started on Friday, and it finished yesterday afternoon. Notre Dame, and, and really one of the more remarkable stats – since the NCAA went to 64 teams in 1999, only one time as the number one overall seed won the national championship in baseball, and that was in 99 when Miami did it. But this weekend, Notre Dame beat a team that I thought was as good a college baseball team as I'd seen in a long time, the Tennessee Volunteers, and yesterday was a 7-3 final and pack, just like you would expect in a situation like this where an underdog goes to Knoxville and wins – you had to have a little bit of everything and everybody along the way. And yesterday, uh, they proved it with, uh, with young Jack Finley coming in and, uh, and taking a long boat of relief. Now, that guy was terrific yesterday for Link Jarrett's team as they advanced to the College World Series. I liked what Link Jarrett told us last week. He said, you know what? We don't have to match Tennessee's season." I mean, they've won 5,000 games. They've only lost a handful. We don't, we don't have to match that. What we need to do is win two in Knoxville. We don't have to win 57 right. games. We need to win two. And I thought his approach was great, and he's got an experienced club. Uh, you knew they had to weather the crowd, which was going to be obnoxious, and they were. You knew they had to weather Tennessee's baseball team, which is obnoxious and incredibly talented, and they did. And they got woodshedded mm-hmm. in between – when Tennessee was out there wearing their pimp jackets and everything else and thinking they were cool, and you know, and that's what they they got a swagger. Now, there's some people that like them. There's some people that can't stand them. But they are an incredibly talented team, and there were a lot of people that follow college baseball religiously that said that is as good a baseball team as there's been in college oh. in decades. I mean, that that's what we were talking about. And, that, and hey, you may say that's a bunch of hype, yep. bunch of hot air. Hey. Take it from people that follow it religiously. That was an incredibly talented group in Knoxville. But what mm-hmm. Notre Dame did was they played their brand of baseball, Wes. And you know what? Yep. Mike Rooney said it last week. Kyle Peterson said it last week on the show. They put the ball in play. They pitch. They, mm-hmm. they play great defense. Their relief pitching was out of sight. And that's exactly what Notre Dame did. And they pulled off the stunner. 
and uh, shocked really the entire college baseball world because everybody and their brother just said, hey, you're all playing for second. This year, the Tennessee Volunteers are the best team in college baseball, and nobody else is even close. We go back to a year ago where Arkansas was really the team to beat. It was Elliott Avent and NC State that shocked the world by going on the road, got woodshedded in game one, won the next two, kicked him to the curb, mm-hmm. put him on the couch. And here goes Notre Dame, first time back in the College World yep. Series in 20 years. And, man, they are the talk of college baseball with what they pulled off over the weekend. Yeah, and uh, I tell you, the the amazing thing about it is is that you referred to the piece where Link Jarrett said, we've only got to win two games. And just look at the upsets of the, of the number one overall seed in the Super Regionals. I mean, Notre Dame did it to Florida State in 2002. NC State a year ago at Arkansas. And, of course, Notre Dame yesterday – in, uh, in Knoxville. Just an amazing, amazing stretch for Link Jarrett and the Irish, who won convincingly in many respects on Friday night. Pac, you mentioned the woodshed, and I thought Kyle Peterson made a really interesting comment on Saturday when Tennessee was in the middle of, well, what, hanging 12 runs up on Notre Dame, when Kyle Peterson said one of the key elements to right now for Notre Dame is their ability to get through this game without stressing their bullpen, without getting to a point where they don't have anything left because tomorrow the pressure will be different than the pressure is today. And I thought that was a great point to make. And yesterday, I thought Link Jarrett and his staff managed that game beautifully from a pitching perspective, even bringing Rayo back, then going to Finley, and just finding the right kind of groove for his baseball team. And then, you know, Danny Graves mentioned David LaManna on this show last week when he said David LaManna could be the key to Notre Dame. And who hit the big home run to get him in the ball game yesterday? David LaManna. I mean, they got guys like Jared Miller. Uh, they, they did a fantastic job of finding a way to win the ball game yesterday. And, and I will say this too, Kyle Peterson mentioned, by the way, the guy pitching for Tennessee is my all-time favorite in terms of hair and mustache. Um, but the thing I liked about what Kyle said the other day was this. Notre Dame probably got something out of going to Starkville last year and not being successful. And it was going to help them in Knoxville, and I think it helped them. And, Pack, I think it helped them when the thing came off the hinge on Friday night in the midst of the, the player being thrown out, the pitching coach being thrown out, all that stuff. I thought that's where Notre Dame showed to be the calmer baseball team, maybe even the rest of the weekend. Well, you know, let's be honest, too. Tennessee uh, kind of branded themselves as classless. thought they did a pretty good job uh, between the mustard bottles being thrown again, which has got to get – I mean, that, that, that's just a clown show that's going on in Knoxville. That is an incredibly talented team. Uh, but they've got that mm-hmm. swagger. Like I said, they, you either loved them or hated them. That, they were one of those kind of teams this year. Uh, I thought they were good for college yeah. baseball in the sense it brought people to eyeballs to say, all right, well, let me see what these guys are all about. But the story isn't Tennessee, unless you want to see some guys sitting on the couch. The story is Notre Dame. Notre Dame is the right. story in college baseball. It is. And and what they were able to pull off, you know, they got hosed by the NCAA baseball committee by not hosting, right? That was a given. Uh, they took it on the road, played great baseball, pitch, pitch, pitch. They went to that tiny little ballpark in Knoxville. And other than that, you know, they got woodshedded Saturday, and Tennessee can do that to you because they're so talented. But, man, they just played baseball. 
You know, I thought yesterday they just played yep. with such composure. And Tennessee knew that the target was on their chest. And here they are. They're not quite as braggadocious as they normally are. Uh, but, man, that, it was just an incredible. And I started thinking about this, too, Wes. Mm-hmm. Since Notre Dame has joined the – and maybe this is a question we pose to our listeners. Since Notre Dame has joined the Atlantic Coast Conference – Right, and I know they're not a football member, so don't go bonkers on me with all that. We know the rules. Right. Since they've joined the ACC, would you say that Notre Dame's baseball accomplishment over the weekend, knocking off the heavily favored Tennessee Vols, is that the biggest sports accomplishment that Notre Dame has made since joining the ACC? Now, I'm just going to pose that question to everybody because I think it is. I think it's the biggest ACC accomplishment for Notre Dame. I'll let you. I'll let you marinate on that. I'll let the folks marinate not, on that. Well, I, I'm going I'm to give you this. I think Mike Bray went to one Elite Eight in Cleveland, lost to Carolina. Right? That's fine. And I'm not. Um, I'm not knocking any of that because that was a great not, team. You know, they won the ACC men's correct. basketball tournament, which was a big deal. But this was knocking off what some had said was the best mm-hmm. baseball team in the last 15 or 20 years. And that's not some blowhard you know, hairdo. These are people that really follow college baseball. I mean, people that I respect their opinion said that that team yeah. right there is as good as you're going to see. I mean, in terms of their offensive numbers, their defensive numbers, they're at home, they've got experience, yep. they've got swagger, they got every box check times 10. And Notre Dame took two of them. Right. Notre- Tennessee was 37 and Three at home this year. They lost two of three to Notre Dame. I think it's right. the biggest I think it's the biggest sports accomplishment by Notre Dame since joining the ACC. That's my opinion. Um okay. Let me let me counter. I'm gonna get I gave you Bray in the final uh eight. Muffet McGraw winning a national title with Arike Agumbawale. Excellent. Two great shots. No doubt. Okay. But, um, but nobody thought this team, nobody other than that I locker agree. room. I'm with you. I thought this I team. I mean, we're just we're we're talking this through, talking right. it through. Um Coach Gia and the fencing team has won back to back national championships, right? I, yeah, without question. They got hardware. Okay. I get it. I get it. But they also dominate the sport. They've also dominated that sport at times. This baseball team is not known as a dominant baseball team. No, even though Link Jarrett's done a brilliant job with them, right? I mean, no brilliant question. job. Um, and more, and more on that in a moment. Yeah. Um, I just I, let you I marinate on. Say, that. I'll let our our listeners and viewers marinate on that a second, because I mean, your your examples I are excellent. I would say there's strong there's strong ammo here, Pack. You got strong ammo for this, absolutely. In terms of their ACC membership, is this their biggest moment? And I would say it's it's very likely to be their biggest moment. I think it is. I mean, no disrespect to Muffet. I mean, no you're disrespect beating. to Bray. Yeah. No disrespect to fencing. And, again, football is – they're not a football member. Uh, right. So, I mean, there's nothing – I mean, they haven't won a national championship and they've been to, what, two college football playoff appearances. But they're not right. ACC football members. So, I, I kind of put them over there to the right. side. I would, I would offer you this. I think that – when it comes right down to it, they beat 
and and I, I look, I have no reason to doubt the people that said Tennessee might be one of the best college baseball teams the last twenty years. I mean, the numbers, the stats, where they play, the domination in that league. And I told you this last week. It used to be the closer you get to forty wins and stay away from twenty losses. They were fifty three and seven when they went in the baseball tournament. Right, fifty three and seven through the regular season in the SEC tournament. That's ridiculous. And listen, they were and, on path to, to win sixty had they gone to Omaha. And to give credit, because I, I, I'm I'm always fair here. I mean, they play in a great baseball league. Right, which has been proven, obviously, no with, as we're going to discuss, yeah. with Arkansas knocking off Carolina and A&M knocking off Louisville and Ole Miss is in, Auburn could still mm-hmm. get I mean, it, this is a great baseball league in the SEC, and this team totally mocked it. I mean, they dominated a league that is really, really right. great. And Notre Dame goes yeah. in and goes, cool, that's awesome. That, that Rocky Top song, that's really neat. Those, those mustard bottles you guys always are throwing around in football and ba- baseball, see, that's cool. But we're going to beat you guys. Yeah, we're going to beat you guys, and they did. Yeah, an incredible it's accomplishment. A, it's a, it's a great, great win for Notre Dame. It is a captivating win for the ACC on an otherwise disappointing weekend of Super Regional Baseball. Agreed. From the standpoint that you you had Carolina at home, they lost. Virginia Tech lost to Oklahoma. Um, Louisville, you know, Louisville on the road got swept by Texas. A&M, who's really good. Um, you know, so those scenarios played themselves out. Uh, all right, we'll get to this. We got more here to go, by the way. Let me give you a quick rundown. Bottom of the hour, Blake James is going to join us. Uh, back in the ACC, new athletics director at Boston College. Uh, terrific guy. We've had him on before. Looking forward to, to revisiting with Blake James about this new task and his relationship with Father Leahy, the president at BC, and, and how that's going to work. And the stability he hopes to bring. I heard him talk about that with Chris Patola last week. Um, we're going to start two-a-days today. We did this last year. And uh, Steve Weissman, who covers Duke football for the Raleigh News Observer, will be here. And Brent Axe, who covers Syracuse for Syracuse.com and also hosts his own show on ESPN Radio. He's terrific. Axe is going to be with us at, uh, at 9.15. Steve Weissman, 8.30. Over the weekend, I think we had four or five ACC athletes win national championships at the five ACC athletes win national championships at the NCAA track and field. The Packer and Durham bump clearly was in play for Gabriella Leon. She'd been with us before, and she won in the pole vault, which Pack is completely fascinated by. I am, and Gabriella Leon, maybe against better judgment, has agreed to come back on this program. Well, she's so we're like, looking hey, forward to having her. She's won a national championship after appearing on the show. She's like, well, what? Maybe I could be the president of the United States with another appearance on Packer and Durham. I mean, what? You know, what do you do for you a, an encore after you've gone ahead and won the ultimate prize? Yeah. So Gabriella Leone, <laughs> University of Louisville pole vaulter, who won the national championship, will also join us at nine thirty this morning. Uh, when we come back, we're going to chronicle some of the disappointing side of the baseball super regionals. But this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome back one of the original founders of the Packer and Durham program. One of the original Lumberjacks is back. Yep, ladies and gentlemen, the voice of victory has returned to produce this show. Voice of That's victory. all we need to say. About Syracuse pom-pom waving. Voice of victory. 
Oh, Love it. there he is. Oh, there he there is. He oh, is. Got and the all, lid. Yes. In all his glory, ladies and gentlemen, walking up the 18th fairway, the voice of victory, who's like, go to break, please, now. After his long sojourn to Maine for his personal dissertation, he has come back. Well, he and He's Angela, back, he and Angela and Chrissy up there, they got all the buttons. They don't need us to say anything. They just press a button. We can fade to black before yes, you know. And we, and we we do welcome Angela Travato to this program. Of course, the, she the and real, Packer the spend real the real star ent- of the show. Well, yeah, and she and Packer spend the entire preamble talking about Italy. So yeah. get ready, Josh. We're just going to continue with more Angela, Italy talk. And, yeah, Angela told me she got yeah. engaged in uh, in Como. So obviously we had a lot in common. Not that I got engaged there, but I'd go back to ask Mrs. P to marry me again. Tell you that, I'd leave tomorrow morning. We could pull that off. Angela, <laughs> man, she, Angela plus Angela uh, was telling me about the Duolingo, which is what I'm taking on my Italian lessons, by the oh way, which are gosh, still we three weeks here into we it. And she yeah. was telling me how good it is. And she was a minor. Uh, she's got an Italian minor. So that that intrigued yeah. me already, the whole language thing. Great. So, Great. I like it. Yeah. Giant sweeping. Yeah. Angela telling me Italian stories. Voice of Victory is back. Uh, Clifford hasn't uh, torn up your studio yet. The boys are sound asleep. Nothing's. Life is pretty good. Good here. Yeah, life is good. All right. When we come back, uh, the disappointing side of the baseball super regionals. Ooh, Cardinals, Tar Heels, Hokies. We'll outline that and oh, the Tar Heels. My Mm. heavens. Um, We will come back and we will talk about that. And Blake James, bottom of the hour, coming up on Packer and Durham. Good morning. The Packer and Durham podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham on a Monday, 645, your lucky number for the day. If you want to call in, you can, 844-SAY-ACCN. Wes, as I mentioned to you, uh, as far as ACC baseball goes, it was either great or yuck. And um, we're to the yuck part of the conversation. Because there were some, got to be honest with you, there were some disappointing results from the weekend. I, I I know Danny Graves thought all four ACC teams would advance. I thought that was wishful thinking. That would be beautiful if that could have happened. Uh, I thought two right. was probably the sweet spot number, but to get one in, great. But it was probably the one team you probably least expected to get to Omaha is the one that took care of business. It was the other three that you kind of scratched your head a little bit and went, man, son of a gun. Got to figure out a way to close out some of these games. I don't know that I felt great about Louisville. Um, I felt like Texas A&M was kind of – and watching a little bit of the SEC tournament a couple of weeks ago, felt like Texas A&M had a lot going on there, Pack. Schlossnagel's done such a good job in his first year there coaching. Um, but I like Carolina's chances. I love Virginia Tech's chances. And, you know, I was thinking those would be the most likely two that would have a chance, right? And right. at the end of the day – at the end of the day, Carolina never seemed to get into rhythm. That was the thing. I mean, whether it was the opening game on Saturday or certainly yesterday with the rain and no, and then the Mac Horvath story, I mean, emergency appendectomy on Saturday night, and the next thing you know, he's out. And it just feels like one of those things where Carolina 
when they took the lead in the top of the ninth inning, you thought, holy cow, they're actually going to find a way to win this game. And, you know, here's the little-known, you know, bench reserve, single up the middle. Frick comes home. Caroline takes a lead. Top of the ninth, two-out hit. They got a pair of two-out hits. You know, you're feeling really good about it, right? And then all of a sudden, they go back to the bottom of the ninth inning and Arkansas walks in two hits and Arkansas wins the game, basically. And it drives you crazy, but that's how it happens. And Brady Slavens, through the right side, drawn in infield, next thing you know, Arkansas wins 4-3. We talked a lot last week. The ability to close right that is baseball man yep. 27 outs those that last out sometimes you just can't get it uh and that was certainly the case at AM where louisville figured out a way to to blow two leads uh, give AM all the credit and same thing with arkansas man you know what you, you tip your hat i mean that's what you got to do in situations like this you know you got the lead can yep. you close can you force a monday game that's all north carolina t- trying to figure out Yep. And you're right, Wes. It was like a grind, a grind, a grind. And then you got over the hump and take a deep breath. Like, oh, finally, we got the lead. Now let's go win this thing. The other yep. guy found a way to win. And, you know, at the end of the day, yep. this is why I think this is the best tournament in the NCAA. You got to figure out a way to close, right? And it's just such a, a crazy roller coaster tournament. Uh, there's never any guarantees. Obviously, what happened with Tennessee, enough said. With the number one overall mm-hmm. seed, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I I thought North Carolina at home, I like their chances to win at least two. Yeah, I thought Virginia Tech at home, I like their chances to win two. But guess what? It just simply didn't happen. And for North Carolina, like you said, the bats never got going. Um, nope. And again, good pitching wins all the time, and you, you, Arkansas had it, and so they move on and. Same thing in Blacksburg. I mean, it was just one of those things that one of the things you talked about Friday was when you have a chance to host in a super regional, you got to get off to a you good gotta, start. You got to get people. You got to get off to a good the start. The energy, right? And it just did not happen in Blacksburg on no. Friday. And the Hokies were playing mm-hmm. catch up from the get go and fell behind, didn't get the lead, lose the game. They come back. And then yesterday, they just got woodshedded. I mean, yesterday, you just got beat. The other team was better than you when it mattered the most. Well, and and here's the other thing, too. Oklahoma lived on two out hits. They lived on them the entire series. I mean, every time you turned around, Oklahoma was getting a hit with two outs. I mean, it was constant. And end of the day, there's just no getting around it, to be honest with you. Right. And the Hokies could not – they couldn't survive it. Uh the Pettis youngster made two great catches in left field, then hit a home run. Uh, I was sick of the adios home run call by about midway through the first game, let alone the second game, and there were balls flying out for really both teams. But the idea here is Oklahoma, Pike, and I'll say this about John Sheff, you got to get to this point sometimes and be denied before you convert, right? Oklahoma played like they'd been there a little bit. You know, they played like a program that had kind of had some success and things like that. I thought last week helped them, you know. And, you know, Virginia Tech got a great start from Drew Hackenberg, couldn't make it stand in the first game. And then yesterday they played all over the place, and Oklahoma just 
they were hitting balls out all over. I mean, it was it was a show yesterday by the Sooners for sure, and and Pettis did a terrific job in left field yesterday. Yep. Uh, you know, listen, Oklahoma won it. It's pretty pretty simple. I mean, fair and square took care of business. By the way, you and I mm-hmm. had a conversation on Friday regarding home runs. I, I'd mentioned that there had been. 349 home runs hit in the regional. And so I said to you, yeah. we come up with the eight super regional games. I asked you, all right, Mr. Durham, you, you tell me what's the, what you set the line. What's the line going to be on the number of home runs hit in the super regional. And I believe your number was 52. If I'm not mistaken. Right. And I, and I said, 52. Man, I said, that sounds low to me, even though you're not guaranteed, you're guaranteed 16 games, a maximum of 24, assuming all eight went three games. Uh, we have two right. games left to be played. Two left to be played, right? You have UConn, Stanford, and Auburn, Oregon State. So that means six of the Super Regionals are done. Uh, would you like to guess how many home runs have been hit, Wes? Just take a guess. Well, every time I every time I turned around Friday night, Notre Dame and Tennessee were hitting home runs. So Oklahoma, every time I looked up, John Schriffen was yelling adios for some reason. Um in Blacksburg. So I think they hit 50 at those two regionals alone, and I didn't even count what went on the other night in Corvallis, Oregon, and at the sunken diamond in Palo Alto where I looked up and UConn and Stanford were playing organized wiffle ball. So I'm going to guess we're well over the 52 right now, and we still got two game threes today. Yeah, the number is 70. There have been 70 home runs hit so far in the Super Regionals with two more games to go. And that includes a wow. regional with Ole Miss and Southern Miss that there was only one home run hit in the whole series, which was uh, obviously yes. by Ole Miss because Southern Miss, despite hosting, never scored a run. Nice <laughs> effort there. Yeah. Um, but 70 home runs have been hit so far in the Super Regionals. Yeah. So the ball is flying, which goes to show you what a great job Notre Dame did to take on the most prolific offense in, in college baseball in that tiny little ballpark they played in. And yep. still found a way to win two of three. But the, the ball is flying out of the yard. And unfortunately, uh, for the folks in Blacksburg, they saw enough of it with Oklahoma yesterday. But again, it doesn't take anything away from what was an amazing season for the Hokies, right? I mean, not only in softball, but yep. also in baseball. They just came up a little bit short uh, in the postseason. And for North Carolina, hey, you win the ACC baseball championship in Charlotte. You played great baseball when it mattered the most uh, in the month of May. And here in early June, but you know, give Arkansas credit, man. You know, you go and sweep somebody in their house at this stage, uh, you've earned it. And there's no nonsense. There's yep. no excuses. Uh, the uh, you know, after what happened to Arkansas last year by Elliott Avent and NC State, they got a little revenge on the ACC, rolling into Chapel Hill and getting two of them yesterday. All right. When we come back, opening hour of Monday's program continues. We'll go to Chestnut Hill. Lake James joins us. Looking forward to our conversation with the uh, new athletics director of Boston College, and we will do that next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Packer and Durham. It is a Monday, and we have a new guest coming up. Really, he's an old guest. But he's no, we don't. No, we Wait, what do you mean we don't have a we have a new guest? We have a new, well, we do have kind of a new guest. We have a new guest, but he's you know it's. I feel like he's a new guest. 
you know, it's kind of like what happened. Are you happened. okay? You got a lot going on there. Yo, you well, okay? I, you no, got, I just you know, flipped over. No, 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 no. I, I, I ran real quick. I knew I was running late. I ran real quick to make an adjustment to our set because we got Boston College's oh. new director of athletics. So I put the new BC helmet. Oh, yeah. I want to make a good us. first impression here. Yeah. Right? Okay, so yeah. I, I flipped out the Jeff Collins Georgia Tech helmet for the BC helmet. Right? Just trying to do the self promotion. The athleticism of Packer. Well, you know, I was yeah. a little svelter. I couldn't pull that off uh, five, six months ago. I'd have been exhausted. I've been in sweats. No. But now I'm, you know, after I ran off all that gelato from Italy, I'm good to go, brother. Light on my feet. All right. Yeah, it'll be a wonder if Blake James recognizes you. Well, yeah. You uh, we go to Boston this morning. And uh, please welcome the uh, new director of athletics at Boston College. Do you even recognize Packer? Packer 2-0 there, Blake, with all the uh, the lean, mean fighting machine that he's become in 2022. He looks, he looks great. You know, it's 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 been a while, and uh, I've been trying to keep up with the show. But uh, yeah, you look great. So it, uh, I'll have to know what the uh, the secret is because I think I've put on a few pounds. Well, I tell you what, big man, it's good having you back in the league. I know that much. Uh, mm-hmm. You did a tremendous job at Miami, and I, I I'm kind of curious, Blake. You had to figure. You know what? I'm not done with this college athletics. I mean, there's too much stuff going on to be sitting there on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. This opportunity, you just never know what's going to happen in life, right? Every time you're trying to figure it out, here comes a curveball. But how about the fact that, hey, this opportunity presented itself? Did it just feel like a natural fit for both sides, for both you and Boston College? It really did for me, and I, and I believe it did for, for them based on the conversations and obviously the fact that I'm sitting here today. Uh, from the first uh, moment that I heard the possibility that this job may be there, uh, I started doing everything I could to uh, get my information out there, uh, get it to the right people here in, in, Chap- uh, in Chestnut Hill, and, uh, uh, and it's uh, something that I'm excited to uh, be a part of the BC family. It was interesting to hear you talk about stability in your presser because – Look, we know how it is in the coaching world, and I think sometimes it can become that in the administrative side too. If people come and do a really good job, there are going to be opportunities presented to them. Martin Jarman, Pat Kraft are both examples of that. However, it feels like that you and BC were both committed to the stability factor of this, and it was important, I think, to Father Leahy based on those comments – and really important to you to create that stability. So there was a connection there, it, it seems like, too. It, it, there really was. And, and again, I think that goes back to what we you know, started this conversation. It was a win-win. Uh, this was the perfect opportunity for, for me and my family. Uh, you know, Kelly and I uh, are thrilled to be able to be here in, in Boston. We've, we've lived a number of years in New England, never actually in Boston, and now have the opportunity to be here. As, as you both know, this is such a great city. Uh, we're out uh, uh, looking for houses right now. Kelly's excited to, to get here. I'm excited to, to be here. Technically, I'm not starting until July 1, but uh, I've been uh, all in since uh, last uh, Thursday, and uh, I'm just excited to uh, really continue to elevate this program. They've done some amazing things here. I hadn't had a chance to really be on campus uh, and see what had been done since, you know, really honestly back in my days at Maine. So probably 2010 was the last time I was really here and had a chance to look at campus and to see uh, what Father Leahy and, the, and all those that uh, care so much about this program have really done to elevate this program. I'm excited to grab the baton and uh, uh, run this race and uh, bring this program to even uh, greater success. Blake, with that said, and again, this may be a bit premature, but I'm sure you've done your due diligence and kind of, hey, I'm ready to get going. I know July 1 is the go time, but it's really already go time. Uh, So what is the next level for Boston College in your seat? 
Well, I think there's a, a number of things, and I'll learn more in, in the coming months and years in terms of what we need to do. But again, as you guys know, the, the bar is always being raised in terms of, of what we're doing to create the best student experience possible. Uh, obviously, Boston College is an incredible institution that has got outstanding graduation rates, and, and a degree from BC means so much in terms of uh, what it's going to do for that young person's life after they leave us, whether that's to go play in the league of whatever their sport is, uh, or to go in that passion of their career uh, professionally whatever that might be. And so I think it's going to be continuing to look at what we're doing on the facility front, continuing to do what we can to create the best student-athlete experience. And then I, I have a great group of coaches here in, in terms of you know the ones I've met and what I've been able to see. And so for me, it's, it's mentoring those coaches, helping them along the way. And then, as you know, it, a lot of times it's, it's making sure that uh, the, we're keeping the right ones here and that we can continue to grow our program. Blake, I've often told people that, like coaching, athletic directors have gained experience wherever they go. Uh, No matter the role they play, as the ladder moves, so does the experience notion. Uh, You mentioned timing and the win-win and things like that. And then you mentioned coaches. Jeff Halfley, Earl Grant, Acacia Walker-Weinstein. I mean, Joanna Barnaby-McNamee. I mean, there's just so many different levels of coaching that have impacted where BC's going here. Um, take me through the, the, when you dig down in this job, what is it about that coaching aspect? It feels like the success levels can be achieved there and they're doing it as you well know, in a completely different environment. I mean, it's, it's kind of similar. You're in a metropolitan market like Miami, the brand may be a little different, but it feels a lot like the experiences you had in Coral Gables could benefit you at Chestnut Hill here too. Well, 100%. I think competing in a market like Miami and Boston is, is very similar. Obviously, you have the Celtics uh, competing for the NBA championship. Uh, again, good luck to the Celts tonight in Game 5. Want to see them uh, bring back here to Boston. You know, the Red Sox, uh, that was one of the things that I was amazed at when I, when I first moved to New England back in the uh, early 2000s at Providence, just how, you know, how big the Red Sox are here, uh, the success of the Patriots, the Bruins, on down the line. And so to have that experience in Miami where you're, you're competing in a, in a similar market, I think really serves me well uh, to help in, in those areas. Uh, again, creating brand recognition in a, a market that's got a lot going on, obviously driving ticket sales and, and bringing the right atmosphere to game day. Those are all things that I've had to do before in my career, and I think that experience will play well here for, uh, for us as, as we move this program forward. You know, I know that uh, football has been an emphasis uh, with Commissioner Phillips since he's taken over. Uh, but man, you got a guy in place with Jeff Halfley that we love on this show. And I I know he is connected to the fan base in the marketplace. He's got an NFL mindset, but yet he understands the college game incredibly. Uh, I I think he's one of the best young coaches in college football. I I know you're not going to argue with me on this one, but man, you know, you're in great hands with Jeff Halfley running the football deal. Hundred percent, and again, that that was one of the things that got me real excited about this. So, as 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 you know, football is is so important in in college athletics, and so I'd been in touch with Jeff long before I got the job. Uh, uh, right when this first opened up, I reached out to our friend Mark Richt and asked Mark if he knew Jeff, and, and Mark talked to Jeff, and, and Jeff and I connected, and uh, you know, I got some time to talk to him as, as I was going through the process and just getting a chance to really know him. Uh, the night before my press conference, uh, uh, my family and, and, and Jeff and his wife Gina went out to dinner and sort of be able to sit there with him and, and really talk about uh, who he is and, and the program and, and what are the things we need to do. Uh, yeah, I, I'm 
I'm excited. He's awesome. And uh, I'm looking forward to working with him and, and doing what I can do to help him uh, take this program uh, to the very top of the ACC. And again, we've made a lot of investments here in, in, in the program. Uh, we have to continue to make more investments. Uh, and, and those are things that I'm going to do in, in support of Jeff and, and help us uh, bring this program to the top. All right, and that's the the backup part of this. Um, you just mentioned this. You had kind of been on campus in, in 2010 when you were at Maine. Now you've come back and, and were able to kind of get your hands around it a little bit here in the last couple of weeks. The facility improvement there for somebody that's kind of been going off and on for a few years to Boston to do ball games, the facility improvement there is incredible. Uh, you're In fact, I think you just said a moment ago during the break, you've got a new sports med situation going there. I mean, it, it feels like that now the investment into intercollegiate athletics has come along at a time that's really, really important in terms of growth and, and competing. And that's, and that's, again, one of the reasons why I'm so excited about really taking over uh, this job at this point. It's, it's in, in a great spot. Again, when, when you, you look at you know, the investment they've made in, in facility and are making, uh, we have a brand new basketball practice facility that, that's uh, in the works right now. As, as we talked earlier, we opened, uh, dedicated a sports medicine suite last night and, and just have renovated the locker room. And so walking through, the, walking through the new locker room, through the sports medicine suite, seeing what we're doing with the, the basketball practice facility, uh, the indoor facility going over to our, our uh, lacrosse uh, soccer area, uh, what they've done with baseball and softball here. And, and again, so there's, there's been a lot of uh, really uh, great investment from a facility standpoint. As you both know, uh, that doesn't mean you can stop. You have to constantly be looking at what are the things that we can do to continue to elevate our program. Uh, but this is a great time to be uh, joining the, the family here at BC, and it's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have this opportunity. Blake, before we let you go, uh the landscape of college athletics. It wasn't that far ago that, you know, you're running the show at Miami. Now you're running the show at Boston College. Uh, I mean, you tell me, where are we? Where are we when it comes to name, image, and likeness and transfer portal? I mean, has anything really changed since your days at Coral Gables? Do you get a sense there's some momentum? Do you get a sense that, hey, we're close or, hey, we're three years away from any kind of rules and regulations? What, what would crystal ball this thing for us? Where do you think we are, big picture? I think we're in an, an area of un, unknown right now. I think a, a lot of a lot of schools are, are trying to figure out what how this best works. Uh, I think everyone has a great appreciation for the collegiate model and, and what it's meant for uh, so many years for so many young people to be able to go and, and get their degree, play a sport they love, uh, for a small percentage, go on and make a living playing that sport that they love. Uh, but just really the overall collegiate experience and how name, image, and likeness uh, I guess, works with all that. I think everyone's still trying to figure that out. Uh, you're seeing all sorts of different things, different schools. I, I think the latest number is there's 34 states that have a law, uh, which means there's 16 of us that, that don't. Massachusetts is one of those that doesn't. And so um, I think working with the association uh, and really trying to figure out how do we b do this best, I think everyone believes uh, legitimate name, image, and likeness is, is right for, for the young people. Uh, at the same time, we have to stay away from uh, recruiting inducements and, and pay for play. And, and so again, I think those are some things that uh, we're going to have to try to figure out. And I hope to say the timeline is shorter 
than what it probably is. Uh, but it's something that I, I think we'll just continue to have these types of conversations about in uh, the coming months and years because I don't see an, an ultimate solution just right around the corner. I think there's a lot of things that have to play out, uh, especially when you have so many different state laws and so many playing by you know so many different rules. It's not that they're not similar, but there's differences to to each state's rules. Uh, again, I'm very familiar with the the Florida law. Uh, the Florida law is is different than a lot of other states, and so I think it's it's getting through all that, and then how do we collectively come to a point uh, where we're able to allow these uh, young people to, to capitalize on name, image, and likeness at the same time that we're able to create uh, a situation where everyone's playing by the same set of rules and that it's not setting up, um, I guess what I'd say, certain advantages for uh, different schools, different people, uh, different sports. Uh, again, in recognizing there's always going to be advantages out there, and, and you know whether that's your geographic location to uh, the fans that you have on game day and your, your environment to the history of your program or whatever it is, I guess there's always advantages out there. But I, I think as I talk to most people, I think everyone hopes we get to a point where uh, this is, is viewed as, hey, these are the rules and everyone's playing by them and we go forward. Hmm. Hey, uh, Blake, real quick, Acacia Walker-Weinstein uh, has become a favorite of ours here, uh, not only because she got a great program, she's a terrific personality. I know uh, if this wasn't under your watch, you should take credit anyway. Uh, she just got a brand-new five-year extension. Uh, that, that might be one of the easiest decisions ever made, right, to get this done? Holy smokes. They, they, they made me aware that this was in the process when I was here, and I said, well, that's the, the greatest decision I've heard. So um, right after that was them hiring me, but uh, I think the first one was extending Acacia. Uh, so uh, I haven't had a chance to, to meet Acacia yet. We've spoken uh, via phone, and uh, as I said to her, the great news is we're both on five-year deals, and so I'm looking forward to uh, five awesome years uh, with her. And uh, uh, I, I know the... I know we have to, a tough one to replace there in Charlotte North. Uh, what, a, what a great uh, young woman cool. she was for, for our program here. I watched her on, uh, on with you guys, I think it was last week, and uh, reached out yeah. to her and just uh, thanked her for everything she did for the program. Yeah, but Acacia is obviously special. And uh, uh, when I got that news, yes, it brought a big smile to my face. I tell you what, you get Charlotte North one more year, you may be able to extend that deal from five years to ten if you get Charlotte North on campus for one more year. Because I'm telling you, she's the real deal. <laughs> Trust me, if I could figure out a way to do that, I'm, I'm sure I would be very popular here. So, uh, yeah, the, the little bit I've learned about uh, our program, she's, uh, she's very special and uh, obviously will uh, uh, always be a part of the, the BC legacy. Well, it's great to have you back in the All ACC. Right, well, hey, great yeah, to be back. I look forward that, to seeing you guys in a few weeks. Yeah, and, uh, and by the way, don't think that the next time we have you on this program, we don't want the beautiful pines of, of Maine behind you. Okay, this BC backdrop and all that stuff's nice, but you know our expectation level is a little higher than that at times. I, I will, I'll have to put that into, uh, into my plans. We'll make sure we get that set up. Love it. We'll see you in a couple <laughs> right. weeks. Blake James, congratulations. Be well. Thanks. Hey, you guys too. Take care. All right. Uh, when we come back, and in case you missed it <laughs> – with Chris Winkie. And he went right after Packer, by the way. I mean, back to the old Panther days and the prime time with the Pac-Man. Another interception. The Georgia Tech quarterback coach from Friday's show is next on Packer and Durham. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham on a Monday. Hope everybody had a good weekend. 844-SAY-ACCN is the number for the program. 
We had a great time on Friday with Chris Winkie, the new quarterback's coach at Georgia Tech. Of course, he comes back to work with uh, Jeff Collins and their relationship and counts Brent Key and others on that staff as friends. So it all kind of makes sense. And we start our conversation, though, with the changing evolution of the position of quarterback since he's become a coach, in case you missed it. Yeah, there's no question. The game continues to change, and I think the training continues to change because of that. I was very fortunate when I got done playing to have the opportunity to launch the IMG Academy football program from the ground up. They tricked me a little and said, yeah, come down and run the program. Well, I didn't have a football, any pads, or and I was working out of a single-wide trailer. So it was, uh, it was a challenge in itself, but something I truly enjoyed, which offered me the opportunity and granted me the, the, the ability to be able to work with a number of guys coming out of college as I, as I launched a uh, combine program. And guys like Russell Wilson, uh, Ryan Tannehill, Cam Newton, Kirk Cousins, the likes of those guys. Um, my position on the quarterback training is that everybody's a little bit different. Uh, different skill sets, different processing in terms of the speed of what they can see and what they can do. Uh, and now you see the game changing where you don't see as much as many guys under center. Um, but I still have a foundational belief in the training of the quarterback and that passing the football is rhythm and timing. And you must have great eye discipline. And so having the opportunity to work with all those guys and now uh, really guys at every level, um, it's been a joy. But again, as the schemes and the game changes, uh, the quarterback play changes a little. So it's a dynamic that people are trying to stay up to speed with, um, and I truly enjoy that challenge. Chris, uh, speaking of challenges, what about the Georgia Tech quarterback room? You, you tell me. I mean, we're sitting here in June, and you get you got to get ready for Clemson for the opener. Uh, and like you said, you've seen all these big-time names. You were a big-time player. But what about your Georgia Tech quarterback room? Yeah, really excited about it. There's no question. I, I did come in in, uh, in December um, and, and walked into a room that only had three scholarship quarterbacks, which is unheard of at this level. Uh, we were able to add some guys to that room, but very excited about the, the potential of Jeff Sims. When you, when you look at him in terms of his athletic ability, his skill set, um, great kid, loves to work, loves to study, wants to be coached, and that's really all I'm asking for. So the ability to be able to now continue to work with him, teach him, continue to help him in his growth at this position, very excited about that. Obviously added um, a couple of transfers, one being Zach Gibson from Akron, uh, who has some playing experience, right. as well as Tyson Pumachow. I hope I'm not messing up his name, but interesting fact there. <laughs> Obviously, you were opening up with his former team. So, um, And then a young freshman that we really like in, in Zach Pyron, uh, out of Alabama. So it's an interesting room. It's a little bit, uh, I always say it's always good to have a competitive room where guys are all a little bit different. They bring something different to the table. Uh, and what I've tried to create is that competitive environment where these guys are pushing, pushing each other um, to be the best we can be. Chris, it also seems like there's a little bit of a chemistry project on offense here. I mean, you and Brent Key, who does, he was one of the best line coaches in the country. We know about Chip Long's background the ability you guys have got with some of the skilled guys on the perimeter here. But there's got to be some checks and balances here. How much of this is the layering from the spring and now this film work and whiteboard stuff that has to occur this time of year to get ready for what you're going to try and put in in August to make a go of it? 
Well, there's no doubt. Uh, you, you see a number of new additions on this staff, and anytime you do that, you all have to get on the same page. And, and I think we have spent endless hours uh, defining who we are as an offense, how we want to attack the defense. Um, obviously, Chip, in terms of leading our program, has, has brought us all together and what his vision is. Uh, we have the addition of an off-field analyst and Jim Chaney, who's got a number of years of experience mm. that brings great value to our offensive staff. But we have a great cohesive unit, and uh, everybody has say. Chip allows us to, to be able to voice our opinion in, in, in terms of the different offenses that we've been in. Uh, but we've spent endless hours, and now because of an early spring ball, we're able to go back and quality control it, look at it, see what we want to change, see what we want to add. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And because of the staff, I think that's the most important thing. And everybody's working uh, and hopefully get this thing rocking and rolling and all on the same page. Chris, I always find it interesting, the ebbs and flows of a sport, how it changes in terms of philosophy. And, and, you know, back like when you played at Florida State, I know it was a different era and everything else, but the game has changed so much. From an offensive perspective, what do you think the next trend will be in college football from an offensive perspective? Well, that's an interesting question. I think there, there's going to be a point in time. I can promise you, if we went out there and we got in 22 personnel and we got in the I formation, those defensive coordinators would be scratching their heads. So I think it's right. very cyclical. Um, <laughs> as you see, um, you know, there's guys that would, you know, we've gone from being under center to now in the shotgun, now the RPO game, uh, now the quick perimeter throws. Um, I think if you can mesh those two things, you can keep the defense off balance. It will be interesting to see in the next three to five years, what is the new addition to the offenses? I don't know how much more you can do except go back to maybe some of the old school stuff that I think puts some pressure on the defense. Hey, Chris, you walk around on Grand Field a little bit the first time you went out there and show Key all those places where you threw the ball to wire them up when you win games there? Did you just kind of take Key around and say, hey, this is where I threw third and 18 to Peter Warwick down the far side for 60-some yards. This is where I dumped it to Kendra on the play fake for the touchdown. You know, just those kind of things. You just walk Key around the building, did you, to show him all those spots where you beat their rear ends? Well, we talk about those times, and he doesn't necessarily want to get in that conversation, but when I first got here, I took him by the hand, and we slowly walked out of this tunnel, um, and, I, and I very softly reminded him of some of the things Dude. that we did while I was here. Oh. But I also share that this was one of the tougher places to play, and we always had some good battles, but um, he doesn't necessarily want to close the door and have that conversation, but I've enjoyed working with Brent. Dude, there he- there I you got, are. I got to tell you, you there. You, there you are. I mean, with another play fake, man. Look, I tell you, Chris Wanky. You, you know, I hope that you're teaching them how to hide the football, oh. dude. I'm telling you, you're as good as I've Come ever on, seen man. anybody do it. Even these highlights, well, I don't know where the ball is half the time. Look at this. Oh, that was that play right geez. there is called pass four pass forty four Joey. That was a big play for Dan Kendra. That was a Mark Rick special. Um, but I'm a firm believer in a being a magician uh, with the ball. So um, we spend a lot of time on the fundamentals of ball handling, footwork, all those things, and uh, hopefully uh, we might get a little late. Well, we start we open the season on Monday night, so we might get a late Sunday night edition uh, to bring back some of those Clemson memories from back in the day. Boy, he can hide the football, man. How good is that? I hope we get I hope we get Winky back. He was good. But he's got that quarterback camp going on this week. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go down there and check it out while I'm here, maybe. I'll ride down through Atlanta, maybe check out a little of the quarterback camp over there at Georgia Tech. Uh 
When we continue, best and worst of the weekend, get ready, track and field, and our man Trey Cunningham back. Flying. Yes, sir. And you know if there's distance, you know NC State's having success. And there's Debbie Antonelli. Back with more Packer and Durham, 8 o'clock hour on ACCN. Packer and Durham.